Good morning. All right, that's not bad for a time change Sunday response bag. Good, good morning. Oh, is this like one of this, 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 oh, I was like, Pastor Mike, thank you for allowing me to preach on this beautiful day. Um, I, I, was, I was actually surprised our, our first crowd, our 9 a.m. crowd, was a pretty good crowd. We had more than seven, so that was a win. And, um, and they, they were loud. I mean, I was like, what's wrong with y'all? It's, it's 8 a.m. Um, it, it, it was, uh, uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm Pastor Dan. I uh, work uh, administration and, and stu students here. At Mercy Hill Church, been here for almost 12 years. Hard, hard to believe. You, you, some of y'all are like, "Gosh, he must be like, like if he's if 12, he's like like 30." And you're almost right if you guess my age. Um, and so, uh, it's an honor and privilege to bring the word to you today. It was funny. We're sort of thin as uh, Josh did a great job as he's led worship for us uh, this morning. He and in Jordan. Uh, Pastor Mike is out, as Chris shared. Pastor Nick is out at a, uh, leading a conference in Kentucky, I believe. Should be getting back sometime t tonight. And, um, and so, so me and Chris and Josh were back there. Sort of the, sorry you get the bottom of the, of the barrel. It's just what you get today. And, uh, and so Chris, Chris led us in a time of prayer at the end. And it's funny, when I'm going to preach, uh, youth will, when I preach with the youth, uh, a lot of times they'll pray for me before I preach. And a lot of times they use the same phrase inside. I always laugh a little bit inside. This is sort of what the type of phrase that, that Chris shared. He prayed that I would have clarity of thought and clarity of speech. <laughs> now, if you don't know, I stutter. And so... Uh, I am thinking to myself, in the prayer, I'm trying not to laugh, Lord forgive me, and then I'm thinking, well, if I stutter, did Chris just not have enough faith in his prayer? I mean, you know, is it, can we blame Chris on, on all this? So if it doesn't go well, I'm blaming Chris, and you can too. Uh, I give you permission. I grew up uh, in Mandarin, uh, South Jack, Jack, Jacksonville. My dad built docks for a living. He had a, a business called Walsh Enterprises. And we built docks all along the St. John's River. We, I helped them like I would drag boards, um, uh, built docks, bulkheads, boat hoist, all, uh, boat houses, all, all that sort of thing. And so as a kid in the summers, especially, I'd go with dad and I would help at seven, eight, do tasks that were very small. I would drag boards. I would bring tools, probably the wrong tool or the wrong board, but I would try to help the best that, that I could. As I grew older, my, my, um, my uh, responsibilities increased. And so then I would have to do the decking, lay the decking right, help, help to nail the stringers, nail the decking, all sorts of stuff like that. When I was 10 or 12, I was doing all, all, all sorts of these jobs. Sometimes we would get on rare occasion a job where a, uh, he'd get a phone call because a boathouse, uh, that's, that's a thing that co covers a boat at the end of a dock, had been struck by lightning. And, uh, and so they needed uh, my dad to come out and repair the boathouse. So it had burned up some. And so I was the lightest, smallest guy on the crew. Uh, and so at 10 or 12, they would tie a rope around my waist and send me up on a ladder onto the, the boathouse roof to test it out. Because if I fell through, then a grown man would fall through. But if I didn't fall through, there was a chance someone else could, could make it up there too. I'm like, seriously, Dad, you did this to me? Uh, and 
there's funny thing because I had a rope tied to me. I'm not quite sure what the rope was for. I'll explain. <laughs> I had been up two or three times uh, on different boathouses, and he'd go, hey, go stand over here. Oh, yeah, that looks solid. I mean, he's using my weight to test it. And so, and so he, he would, he would uh, it was like the third one we'd, we'd done over that summer. And, um, and I crawl out, and this one looks sort of bad, a little bit, a little bit sketchy. And uh, I distinctly know the sound of burnt wood that's about to break. Uh, I can't explain it to you, but I know it. Because on that roof that day, with that rope tied around my waist, all of a sudden everything gave way. It's about 25 feet, 20 feet above the, the water. And I remember it felt like it took seven seconds from when I began to fall to when I hit the water because everything was slow motion and shingles and wood, burnt wood is falling with me. It was like a, a Disney movie. It was just beautiful in the, mo the moment. And as I as I go plummeting down, rope tied around my waist with no purpose at all because the rope just comes flying in with me, I go down <laughs> to the water and crash. <clears throat> uh, the next time we had a, uh, and so I think they used the rope to retrieve me, right? That was like, oh, there he is. There he is. We got him. He's still breathing, you know. And, uh, and so I, I wasn't hurt. It, it was falling into water. No big deal. But the next time we had a, a situation like that, we said, hey, come on up to the boathouse roof. I was like, uh-huh, yeah, 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 you'll be fine. You got a rope around your waist. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I would climb up, but this time I'm like a cat, you know, on, I don't know, on this slippery surface. And I will tell you this, that was like 35 years ago plus. And to this day, put me on something that doesn't feel stable, even if it's two feet off the ground. And I'm walking like I'm scarred for life because of that. All right, hold that story and put it in your po pocket a second because we will come back to it. When I, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. When I say the book of Jonah, what do you think about? The, the whale? That's not a whale, it's a big fish, big fight. <laughs> Right, we think of a kid story, big whale, big big fish, eats, eats Jonah, doesn't eat him, swallows him. Uh, and so we think of that. You know, in the, the book of, of Jonah has 48 verses in it. Three of them talk about the fish. And in truth, when you look at the story of Jonah as a whole, the fish is a supporting, part of the supporting cast, but he's not a main character at all. He's something that's used by God to, to, to bring somebody to their knees, but he's not a main character in the story. But when we think of the story, we think of the big fish. And there's so much more to this story. Uh, and it's sort of a, it's, it's in truth, it's, it's, we say it's a kid's story. It's a very dark story of, of a prophet, a man of God running away from God, God pursuing him. Man still runs, man finally finally comes to his senses in the belly of the fish, and then he wakes up and serves God, but then he still struggles throughout the rest of the book. It's sort of, sort of a wreck of a story. So don't get caught up in, in the uh, whale. There's some bib biblical sco scholars, and I use that term loosely, okay? And you need to sometimes use this term loosely. If there's a Bible expert on the news, any news, I don't care which one you pick, any of them, if it's a Bible expert, be skeptical, please. 
watch out who you are allowing the media and the world to say, this is an expert, you should listen to them. I'm not quite sure even today what makes a Bible expert, just because they've read the book a lot, or do they understand God's plan with this book? But there's some Bible scholars that when you talk about the, the Jonah, they immediately say, yeah, yeah, Jonah, a, it's a myth. It's got to be a myth. Uh, or it's a parable. It's a, it's a story that's not real, but it's meant to teach us some truth. And I want, you to, I want us to come to this uh, because I believe that the book of, of Jonah is real. And I've got a couple points of why before we jump into our text. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, a couple nods, I'll take it. First reason why I think it's real, because it's written about historically real, real cities in a real time per period with real pe pe people. Nineveh was a large city in the Assyrian Empire, one that was known for, for being evil. And during the, the time of Jonah, it was large and in charge. Uh, jo jo Jonah, we don't only read about him in the book of Jonah. We don't know about Jonah just from the book of Jonah. He's also found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. There was a king named Jeroboam II, a king of Israel, who was an evil king, did wrong in the sight of the, of the Lord, but still would go to the prophet of God and talk to him. It doesn't mean he took the advice or word of the prophet of God. This is what it says in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, that this is about the king Jeroboam, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his, his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the, the prophet who was from Gath Hephar. So in Jonah 1 1, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, same guy. So this is partly why I believe. This is not just a story or a myth for us to learn some nice, sweet, cute truth from. It seems to be that, that it's real. This is the second, second reason why I believe it's real. Jesus taught as if Jonah was real. Should be really my first reason and only one that I think I, I really need. This is what, he, uh, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so that will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of, jo of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Don't miss this. Je Jesus is referring to Jonah like he would be referred to Moses or Noah or Abraham. He's referring to him like he's, he's real. So I'm going to take it partly that it, he's real. Now, some of you say, yeah, 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 Pastor Dan, but what about really the whole fish thing? Like swallow big fish? That sounds a little far-fetched, don't you think? And I would agree with you. It sounds very far. Do you all know someone who's been swallowed by a fish and come out, spit out on the shore? If you do, we need to talk later, and you might, might need to call authorities. But um, there's a story in Numbers chapter 22 of a prophet of God riding a donkey. And as they're going down the road, an angel of the Lord appears before him with a sword in his hand. The prophet cannot see the angel of the Lord. The, the donkey can. 
the donkey tries to turn away three different ways. It gets trapped. It can't get around. It's getting beaten by the prophet going, you stupid mule, go forward. And the donkey speaks to the prophet. Sounds a little far-fetched, don't you think? There's a story in Daniel chapter 3 of three friends who are standing up for their faith. They're told to bow down to an idol. They refuse to do it. There's a fiery furnace that, that, that's lit up. It's, it's, it's hot. It's so hot that as they're thrown into the furnace, the men who throw them in are burnt up and killed. The king looks into the furnace. There's, he doesn't see three men in there. He sees four of them, and one looks like the son of man, and they're walking around like it's no big deal. The king calls them to get out. The three men come out. They are not singed, and they don't even smell like smoke. I can't be around a campfire for 1.3 seconds and not smell like smoke. Do you understand? That sounds a little bit far-fetched, don't you think? There's a story in Matthew of, of a man that's pre preaching to a crowd, big crowd. There's a boy there with his lunchbox with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they, the, 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 the preacher says, hey, I, uh, can, can we have, have your, your food so we can feed the crowd? The kid gives it up. And with that, five loaves of bread, two fish, 5,000 people are fed. Sounds a little bit far-fetched, don't you think? Do you get, you get the point? The Bible is full of this broken people and a miracle-working God. It's, it's full of it. It's chock full. Everywhere you turn, this is what you will see. Broken people, miracle-working God. And our world today... Can I tell you, it's still full of broken pe pe people, but the good news is this, it's still full of a miracle-working God. That man is sinful, that we choose to sin and rebel against God, and the fact that God would send Jesus to redeem us of our sins, to live a life without sin, die as a sacrifice for our sins, for yours and for mine. We were enemies of God, enemies of God, and he pursues us through Jesus Christ. See, that sounds a little bit far-fetched, don't you think? So that's why when we come to the book of Jonah, sometimes some people think, well, it's just, it's the book of Jonah, so you got to take it as a, can I tell you, it's solid. It's part of the word of God. It's solid. We can trust it. We're not going to fall through. It's not weak. It's not going to break through. It's just part of the word of God. It's solid. Are you with me? Hope so. Jonah chapter 1, we're just going to read verses 1 and 2 again. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. They're evil. So there's an issue. He tells them to go to Nineveh, because their evil is great, and I need you to go speak my truth to them. Now we're going to see in the text that Jonah doesn't go up to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat, goes in a boat that's going to Tarshish. We don't know exactly where that is, but it seems to be as far away as he can get from God. He wants to get as far away from God that, that he can get. Now, when I think of the concept of evil, I can, I think, flash back to the first, the, 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 the one of the youngest memories, our oldest memories I have is a memory of when I first experienced evil in my life. I was in kindergarten. Let, let me show, show you what a cute kid I was. Okay, that's me. 
kindergarten. Okay, don't put that up because people are laughing and that hurts my feelings. No. I'm in kindergarten and at St. Joseph's Catholic School and um, I was a crybaby. <clears throat> I admit it. I had a, a friend at school named Carl. We won't say his last name because I don't want you to look him up and haunt him and like hate mail him or anything like that. After you hear the story, you're going to be so upset. Uh, and so my mom would come pick me up, and for the first three weeks of school, every time she picked me up, I would be crying when she came, when I got, got in the car. And she was like, Daniel, what's wrong? And I would, yeah, and she probably couldn't make any sense of what I was saying. And so I would never tell her what was up. After about three weeks, she finally pulled it out of me. You see, my friend, look out for friends, people. My friend Carl every day would tell me that my parents had packed up the house and they had moved <laughs> and they were never coming to get me and I would be trapped, I would be left alone at the school. And I believed him. Don't hold that against me. Every day. So when my mom found out, she finally, about the third week, she was like, what is up? She got to the bottom. I think she beat the tar out of Carl. I don't know. Uh, but she went and took care of things, and Carl never messed with me again. I'm not saying that me and Carl ever became really good friends, because that scarred me pretty bad. I'm still trying to work through some issues with that. Um, but the, the text I'm working on today has helped me. Um, when we think of eat evil, we think of that like someone just being, man, they are evil. They've done mean stuff. You know, it, some of you will think, I know what evil is. I've seen veggie tales, and the Ninevites were fish slappers. Now, that's how they're described in veggie tales. And for a three-year-old, that's perfect. That's wonderful. For you, probably not so great. Someone slap you with a fish, there's a lot more that's going on with them than evilness. Um, <clears throat> The Ninevites were evil. One commentator writes this. Uh, they would, when, and the Assyrian Empire was strong, and it would overpower cities around it. And when they would, uh, would do this, they would take the people of the city, some of them out into the desert, bury them up to their neck. Some of this is a little bit graphic, not too graphic, but it's graphic enough. Bury them up to their neck. When they would do this, they would pull out their tongue and they would take a wooden stake and drive it through their tongue into the ground so that in the desert, the arid, dry desert, they could not close their mouth with a stake stuck through their tongue. And the, pe the people would almost always go insane before they died because they couldn't close their mouth. Evil? W would you agree? Tim Keller writes in his book, The Prodigal prophet, uh, when he's writing about the book of Jonah, he says this, that after capturing in enemies, Assyrians would tip, 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 typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so they could shake the victim's hand in, mo in mock, 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 mockery and say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, have a nice day. Hey, good to see you, as the person died. Evil. He also writes that when they would capture a city, they would sometimes have, um, they would force the loved ones of someone that had been killed to carry their head on a pole around the city. Evil. Do you agree? Evil, evil, 
people. So when we read the book of Jonah, I want you to make sure, or when we even look at this part, and I would encourage you, work through, we're just going to work through a small bit of text, but work through the rest of this text. I'm trying to give you a background and a basis so that you can leap off even on your own from here. Know that when God says go and Jonah, it doesn't say with his mouth no, but with his feet he says no. He sort of got a, a reason for it. These people were evil. They were hateful. They don't deserve it. I mean, they're, they're, they're enemies of Israel. They're enemies of God. And so our point, point number one is this. Sometimes we disobey God's commands because we think that the people it impacts don't deserve grace or mercy. They aren't good enough. That's what Jonah did. He, he saw what God was wanting him to do. He's like, no, I want no part of that. In chapter 4, we see he looks and goes, see, see God, once God does a major work in Nineveh, see, see God, I knew you were going to change their lives. So now kill them or kill me because I don't want to be any part of it. That's where Jonah gets to. And the statement that we disobey God's commands because we think uh, the people in facts don't deserve grace or mercy, can I tell you that statement can be somewhat true, to be honest with you. Romans 3, 23, most of us know this verse. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all choose sin. We all rebel against God. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, at is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In truth, no one deserves the grace or mercy of God if we're really going to be honest with ourselves. Some would go on to say, ah, but they've got a good heart. He's got a good heart. Hey, kids, follow your heart. Can I tell you, that's the scariest thing you can say to your kids? Because the Bible in, in Jeremiah 17, 9 says, your heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick, who can understand it? So this is my advice for your parents. Or you, uh, don't tell kids to follow their heart. Tell kids to follow God, God's heart. Put, put God's truth and God's word in front of them. That's what we follow. Don't follow. Our heart can lead us astray because we are selfish, sinful people. So man is wicked. No one deserves it. So, so what do we do? What, what, how are we supposed to, if no one de de deserves it, but God, God has this thing called grace that he gives out to us through Je Jesus Christ. And if you have experienced or tasted of saving faith in, in, in Jesus Christ, you understand. And I know I don't deserve this, but thank you, God, for giving it to me. How do we respond, or how should we see the rest of the world? We, we see them as, as, as we saw ourselves before, hopeless, unable to help ourselves in need of God to move. And so the people around us that we think don't deserve it, man, we're supposed to love them, even when they don't. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's not a new teaching. It's not like, oh, I didn't know that was really in there. Have you ever heard, heard the, the phrase, kill them with kindness? 
right? Proverbs 25, 21 says this. If your enemy is hungry, give him drink. Uh, if he's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The whole point of that is the burning coals aren't like real, uh, you're going to kill him. But this is what you're going to do. The world needs to see that God is different than anything they've ever experienced. The world needs to understand that believers in Christ, when we, the way that we're going to be the, the greatest light for him is when we do things that are opposite of what the world says to do. The world says, they've wronged you, you wrong them back, and, and you get them back double. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says, extend kindness. He says, when they betrayed you, offer forgiveness. But Pastor Dan, you don't understand what they've done. I get that. I understand people can harm us in great ways, but this is what I, I know about me. God, Jesus Christ, he has forgiven me more times than I can ever add up or count, more than I ever deserve. And if he has done that for me, I've got to extend that out to everybody, not the select people, not the people I get along with, not the people I like the most. Everybody, we extend grace, love, forgiveness out. So we did disobey God's commands because we think those people aren't good enough. Well, they, they've hurt me. They, they, they don't care. I understand. But when God speaks to us to love them, God speaks to us to give to them, when God speaks to us to serve them, we've got one choice, obey God. And when we don't obey God, it's, it's a sin. Do we, do we understand that? When God speaks to us, when we don't follow God, we, we are, sin is not just uh, do, not, not, not doing the bad stuff. It's, it's, we're also called to do the right stuff. There, there's a sub-point to this, and that, that's this is sort of point 1.5. It says, sometimes we disobey God's commands because we think we aren't good enough. It doesn't have anything to do with them. We think that we aren't good enough. God could ne never use me. I'm, I'm, too, I'm too shy. I'm just, I just can't lead well. I just can't put myself out there. I just can't talk. I understand. I'm with you. I can relate. God, God just just can't, can't use me. I am, um, I had the opportunity to be a pastor for t 26 years now. But before that, for two or two and a half years, I felt God calling me to be a youth pastor. And as a young man, uh, I remember going, ain't no way. I am never going to do that. I'm not wired for that. I'm not set up for that. I, I would have to talk in front of people. I don't care how big the crowd is. I will never, God, you messed me up. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you, you didn't make me that way. So I'm going to be a chef or a physical therapist. You know, I'm going to do something else. And so I ran until I got to Exodus chapter 4 on my own personal time with God when Moses, God is calling Moses to deliver his people. And Moses says, I believe in verse 9 or 10, but God, you can't use me. I'm slow of mouth and tongue. Now, we don't know what that means. It could be like 90% of you in this room that are afraid to speak in public. Whatever it was, whether he stuttered or was just scared to talk, 
he was like, I can't do it. And it says this, God says to him, who made man's mouth? Who made him deaf, dumb, or blind, or to see? Am I not God? And I remember when I read that, I went, oof. If I believe the word of God is true, then that has to affect my life. If I believe it's true, I have got to act or I am in direct disobedience to God. And then from that point on, I said, God, I'll follow you. This is your train wreck. You're messing up. I told him, I still think that's your train wreck, but I'll, I'll be a part of the, church, the train wreck. Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can I, I tell you this morning that you have been created by God with a purpose and a plan. Do not miss that. You'd be like, man, I'm just not wired right. I, just not, I understand, but God has created you with a purpose and a plan. The greatest thing that you can do is, is live out that purpose and plan. So many times we don't because of fear. We don't because we're lazy. We don't because we don't think we're good enough. And it's not, you know, you've heard the, the cl cliche phrase, I think, God isn't looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. When he speaks, he'll respond. Uh, in this text, you know, Jonah jumps on a, gets on a boat, tries to get as far, far away from the presence of the Lord as he can. And the most beautiful verse in all of Jonah, I believe, is found in chapter, in verse 4 of chap, chap, chapter 1. And uh, if you look, it says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. You know, the text goes on to say that the sailors who were on that boat, who had, who had lived on the boat all their lives, were terrified from the storm, praying first to their false gods, then, then, then praying to the true God, going, please save us. They, they lost their wits about it. This was the worst storm they had ever seen. And point, point two is this, and it's a simple point. Even though we run, God pursues. Even when we run, God pursues. Um, You know, God sends this, this great storm, and it's not out of anger or wrath. See, y'all should be glad I'm not God, because if I was God in that scene, and the prophet of God, prophet, this is his job, right? He's running from what God is saying to do. If the prophet of God runs from me, I do one of two things. I squash the boat, and it's done. All right, next, part, next, next please, you know, or, or, you know, I go, go, fine. You just go. I'll get some, somebody else. And I, I, I would give up on them. But God doesn't do that. Even in our obstinance and our rebellion, he pursues us. And it's not out of anger. It's out of guidance and correction. And, and do we understand the greatest, one of the greatest ways we can show love to our friends, our, our family, uh, those that we know, the, the greatest ways that we can show love to them is through correction telling them they're doing something wrong. Oh, Pastor Dan, that usually doesn't go well. I understand. But the people that love me the most are, are willing to speak truth to me, even when it hurts me. In my early years of youth, 
in ministry, y'all are going, Pastor Dan, you're not in your er early years still? I sort of am. Uh, I had a couple of brothers, not this church, my last church, that were in my youth group, and they were trouble. They were good kids, but they were just stupid in a lot of ways. Just getting into dumb, you're, you're not allowed to say that word. Uh, just getting a lot of dumb, dumb stuff all the time, but not just being mean. They just, just dumb. I love them. And they're, but you, all kids are that way. No offense, not my kid. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't looked at them hard enough. They, they all are. We, we've all been that way. Just, and so, as they were in my youth group, I would have to come down pretty hard on them and just sort of squash them going, hey, 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 and, and have hard talks with them going, you can't do that. This is why. They would respond. They would do better. Still got into some, some trouble. As they grew older, uh, they did better, but I would still have to sort of keep my thumb on them and sort of ride these guys pretty hard. Uh, one day, their mother came to me to talk, and it wasn't about disciplining her boys or anything. It was about something else, but she started the story. She started the conversation with this, and once I heard the, the start of what she started to speak, I didn't hear anything else that she said. She kept, I don't know why, why she wanted to, to this day, I have no idea, but she, she said to me, she said, uh, I, I know you don't like my boys because they're so much trouble, and then she went on with, with, with her story, and I remember being a younger man, uh, I, I was trying to come to grips with what was just said in front of me and trying to figure out, wait, 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 so that is wrong. And so I stopped her. I, I, t I touched her arm. I said, hey, hey. Well, I said, why, why do you think I don't like your boys? And she said, well, I know they're trouble, and, and you, you, you've got to get on to them. And sometimes you get on to them per, per, per pretty hard. And I went, oh, I said, I'm sorry that that's what you've thought. I said, but can I tell you, I only get on your boys because I love your boys, that I see potential in them, I see strength in them, I'm trying to, to guide them and trying to help them, uh, and, and I correct them because I love them. I said, if, if I didn't care about your boys, I would leave them alone. I wouldn't take the time to talk to them. You know, sometimes not even because of sin in our life, um, I think uh, just because life itself, God allows, allows things within our life to shape us to be more like him. God allows, do you understand God allows uh, certain things to happen in your life so it will draw you close to him, so that you will, you will, you will look to him? You know, I think if everything went great all, all the time, how often would we, we really look up to God? How, you know, I think at some point we, we rely on ourselves and we don't rely on him. And so uh, he allows things within our lives because he loves us. If y'all don't, I've already talked about it a little bit. If you don't know this already, I stutter. Don't freak out. You're like, I thought it was the microphone or something. I thought something was wrong with the sound system. It, it is the sound system or Chris. Um, I've stuttered since I was five. <clears throat> And if I can be totally transparent with you, I hate it. I hate so many days. I hate the fact that I stutter. I hate that I've got to go to a restaurant and order food and I can't say hamburger sometimes. 
I hate, I'm having a conversation with some parents I haven't met before or whatever, and it's just, I just can't even say my name. There's, there's certain days when I preach that the flow, I, my flow is pretty good. There's other days, oh, Lord, let me just get to bed and wake up. Let me just get to tomorrow. Please, somehow let me get there. There, 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 there are times I've, I've begged him just to take, can you just take this away? I've learned my lesson. I've learned whatever I need to learn. Just take, take, take this away from me. <clears throat> Those were things I thought more as a younger man than I do. I'll clarify myself as an older man slightly now. Don't hold it against me. But as an older man now, I look back at my stutter and I know that God has used it to shape me to be the man that I am today. I understand that because of my stutter, I draw near to him when I never would have before. Because of my stutter, it's made me stand up and learn how to stand up when times are hard. It's made me help me learn to be compassionate to people that have certain difficulties. It's made me force me because I've responded to his calling. It's forced me week in and week out at times just to go, okay, God, this is your train wreck, but I'll be faithful. So because of that, more recent, my prayer is, God, if this is what it takes for me to stay close to you, may it never leave me. May it never leave me. See, God allows things within our lives sometimes that are hard just to draw us close to himself, to make us more like Christ. So we look at things like, ah, this is so wrong about me, but can it be something God can use uh, to make you more like Christ? Can we start to look at things with open eyes? You know, what I love about this story, and this is just the start of the story of, uh, of Jonah, it's such a picture of the gospel, right? Nineveh is, is evil and undeserving of, of God's mercy and grace. Mankind, we, are in, we have been in rebellion. We've chosen to rebel against God, evil against God, running away from him. And God, as God pursues Jonah, in, in pursuing Jonah, he's pursuing Nineveh to, to give them a, ch a chance. God, God looks at us in our hopeless condition. We cannot fix this sinful issue that we have on our own. So he sends his son Je Jesus to earth to live a life without sin, to be put on a cross, to die as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And do we understand the cross did not kill him? The nails did not kill Jesus. That, that the sin that was placed on him and the wrath of God that was poured out on him, that was not his sin, but was all of ours, that was placed on him on the cross. That's what killed Jesus. And as he died on the cross for our sins, he gave us what he earned from a sinless life, righteousness. You aren't righteous apart from Jesus Christ. He's redeemed you through the gift of his son. What a work of God that is, that God would even pursue us. So can we commit today just to be obedient to God, especially when they don't deserve 
mercy or grace? Can we offer forgiveness and can we offer mercy and grace ourselves? But Pastor Dan, I've done that. I know. Do it again. You understand it's the same person. I've done it like 10 times. I understand. I'm not saying for you to go and get stabbed in the back time and time again, but love them the best that you can. They're broken in need of a savior. The world needs to see us loving people like that. That's why that verse, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, is so important. Why does the world not come running to, to God? Because Christians look a lot like the world. But when you see someone who loves their enemy, you see someone that offers forgiveness when it's just, it's, wow, they didn't have to do that. When, when the world sees that, they take note and go, huh, there's something going on there. Let's be obedient to God even when we feel scared or insufficient. God's, once again, more not interested in your ability but in your availability. Let's be available to God even if we're scared. And let's, point three, be in, be in awe of the fact that God pursues us. May that be a truth that shakes us up. We know who we are apart from Christ. We know how he's redeemed us. We know how he forgives us time after time of time. So let us be in awe over that fact that he pursues us. Let, let, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for today, the chance just to be in your word, to talk about your, your truth. God, the story of Jonah. Uh, and God, may we, may we be a, pe a people who forgives time after time after time after time. May we be a people that loves our enemies and prays for those who persecute us. God, I ask for even your, your help. Gosh, when there's just pe people that are hard to love, give us, give us the love we need uh, to love them. God, I ask that you'll Help us not get in the way from whatever you want of our own lives. Lord, you've created us with a purpose and a plan, so let us, let, us, let us live that out as well as we can. Let us seek you. Let's trust you. Let us honor you. Let us follow you. And Lord, thank you for pursuing us. And not just pursuing us, but pursuing all, because the world needs to know you. The world needs to see you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.